You know, it's, it's interesting trying to think of a, a text, a, a Bible story, a passage to talk about fathers. Because I think there's a lot of topics that we, we think about in our life and in our world that we think, oh yeah, the Bible has a lot of clear, easy, simple uh, teachings and are examples of, of positive ways of living this out. But there's not a lot of great examples of fathers in the Bible. Um, and, and some of that might mean some positive things for us because the world was messy then and it's messy now. And so if you have a messy relationship with your father or with your children, um, you can join the club of the thousand years of human history in which we've had messy relationships. And so I, I was thinking through some of the, the fathers in, in the Bible, and you don't have to start and take very long to getting to maybe not the best examples, right? I mean, Genesis, let's start the very first parents. Adam and Eve have two sons. How did that go in the story? Uh, the, the brother Cain killing his brother Abel. And you, you can jump forward in the story and think about Father Abraham. And, well, it's a little bit tricky talking about him and whether he was sacrificing his son Isaac and he's, he's got his stuff and he's taken his son to an altar or, or his treatment of Ishmael or, or the fact that we don't usually read the couple chapters later when he's got a lot more kids with Keturah and we just kind of ignore that passage. But, um, you know, he's got his own complicatedness around being a parent. Uh, maybe you think about Jacob and the tribes of Israel. You know, and, and then you think about the favoritism given to Joseph and how the brothers respond to that situation. Or maybe you jump forward and you think about the prophets. And, and you know, there's that story of the prophet Eli who, who takes in Samuel to train up and to raise uh, this child who's been dedicated to God. And we kind of love this story to talk to kids about Samuel hearing from God in the middle of the night. And, and Eli trains him to say, yes, Lord, here am I. And then God gives him a story about uh, and a message that, that Eli's kids are not fit to be prophets. We're not going that way. Uh, and think about how you have to tell your, your mentor, your, your, uh, your friend, that kind of message. And maybe we jump from the prophets to the kings and we talk about King David and we're like, oh, King David, his, you know, his heart was after God and, and his life was messy. And, you know, one of his sons, Amnon, raped one of his daughters, Tamar. And another one of his sons, Absalom, had Amnon killed. And Absalom ended up deciding he wanted to be king. And so he actually drove his dad out of the city and took his, his dad's concubines for himself and tried to rule the city for a while until King David's kind of troops came through and defeated uh, his son and his son died. And that all of the messiness of all of these parenting situations. And so I was thinking about all of this, and I was trying to find who's a, who's a good example of being a father that we could look to. And I, I, I settled today on a person that we don't often talk about, about the fact that they're a father. We talk about the fact that they were a persecuted person. And so that is Job. In the book of Job, all 42 chapters are the story of Job. And we're used to talking about him suffering through trials and his response to God. But a huge part of his story is that he is a father to seven sons and three daughters. And his relationship to his kids and his family and his God. 
And so I want to read to you a passage from the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There was born to him seven sons and three daughters. And he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and, and many servants. And so this man was the greatest of all people of the East. And his sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses in turn. There's seven of them, so each day of the week they, they could share their house with their family. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this is what Job always did. And I, I hear this story and I think about Job as this father who cared a whole lot about his sons and his daughters and, and his family, and, and not just his family, but their relationship to God. And I think about how Job calls as a model and example for us, that we are called to be priests in this world, people who bridge God and the world and, and bring people closer together and bring them closer to God. And in the story of Israel, there's um, this view that they as a nation are meant to all be priests, not that there's just a priestly tribe, but that all should be priests and and the New Testament picks up on this language, and we talk about the priesthood of all believers, that we are all called to be that bridge that helps bring people to God and help bring God and God's kingdom to those who need it. And Job is doing that with his family. He's like, hey, I, you know, they're having these great meals, and, and I don't know what's in their heart all of the time, but I want to make sure that they are right with God. And I'm going to offer up some offerings. I'm going to give some prayers. And some of you know that situation where for years there's someone in your life that you spend your prayer time offering up your hopes, your anxieties, uh, your longing for them to be closer to God, that they might be aware of God, that they might... Uh, live in, in, in blessing and in hope. And so Job is doing that daily and weekly. He, he's thinking about his kids and he's praying for them every day. And so uh, he is someone that, that is a priest for his family. And I know that there's a lot of families that maybe the dads, we don't, we don't always live up to being a priestly type figure in our homes. Uh, there's a lot of families where maybe, maybe a mother's kind of dragging a dad along to church. But don't we long for a moment where each member of our family, and, and especially including our dads, that, that the dads want to be a priestly figure in their family. They, they long to bring people closer to God. They long to see everyone in right relationship to each other and to God. And Job's story is one in which He's not just a, a priestly figure to his family, um, but at the end of the story, he gets invited into being a priestly figure for his friends, and, and God's going to come in and kind of speak into the situation, and, and he's going to ask Job to pray for his friends too. 
And so we are called not just to be priests in our own families, we're called to be priests uh, to those around us, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our neighbors. You know, how well are we living that out in this world that uh, instead of thinking about my own status, my own place, how do I bring other people closer to God? And so Job is, is living that priestly life, and he's going to enter into a challenge, and it's a challenge about the scripts that we give people uh, for their lives. Uh, we have all sorts of scripts that we've inherited. Um, the men who are watching, you've inherited a script about what it is to be a man and how you are supposed to live because of that. Uh, women inherit their own kind of script, and, and there's scripts that we say about uh, our whiteness, and there's scripts that we give uh, and that are received by people uh, who are black or Hispanic. And, and we all have all of these messages about how we are perceived and how we should live in the world. And Job's world's not rocked until he enters into some pain, but, but he is going to lose his family, his possessions, his own health. And the world on the outside that he's surrounded by is going to say, here's the script. If things aren't going well for you, you've done something wrong. Because according to this script, if you live rightly, you get blessings. If you live poorly, you get judgment. And it's easy to see, Job, when I look that you've lost your family and all of your stuff and your health, you've done something wrong. You're an outcast. You need to repent. You're not the person we thought you were. And that's the script that's being thrown on Job. And he's going through enough problems. He doesn't need the additional layer of shame put on him. But we all have our own scripts. And, and and part of the script in Job's story is that there's this accusing angel, this accuser uh, that your Bible might say the Satan, might say Satan with a capital S. Um, but there's this accusing angel who is in the midst of what causes trials for Job in the story. And I think it's worth noting how we get to that spot. You know, Job's got his family he's praying for, he's offering sacrifices for, and we said, you know, that uh, Job's saying in his heart, he's like, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so he's offering these things. And this is what Job always did. In the very next verse, one day the sons of God, and the New Revised Translation turns that into the heavenly beings, but one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And so the accuser and the story and God are going to have this conversation about whether Job is going to bless God or curse God. And the last verse we just had was Job saying, I'm worried whether my kids are going to curse God and I'm going to be on their behalf to bless God preemptively. Let's make, let's make an offering for them. And so the, the accuser's script for Job is, you don't actually like God. You like the good stuff in your life that's the blessing. You like all of the possessions. You like you got a big family. You don't really like God. If you take all of that other stuff away, there's nothing underneath it. Your faith is shallow. And so that's the accuser's script placed on Job, and the friends think, yeah, you've done something wrong, and that's their script on Job. And Job is left longing for and trying to proclaim that God's script is different than the messages that we get around us. It's like, I know God is good, and I know that there are that I haven't done anything to deserve all of this. 
God, come down. I know that you're just like, be with me. Speak to me. Tell me what is going on. And, and I, I think about the ways in which we, own, we struggle with the scripts thrown on us. You know, I think last week I talked about the fact that it's headline news, that a male news person uh, having a tear during an interview is like, oh, they got emotional. Like, oh, that's, you know, and, and somehow that's a headline news. The fact that our scripts say men shouldn't show emotions uh, gets thrown on people. And if you can imagine in this story with Job, what kind of world is it when we say men are supposed to be stoic and rational and not have emotions? Well, a part of Job's story is it is okay to have emotions. Uh, Job has plenty of emotions in this story. Uh, He embraces his emotions. Uh, Job has plenty to be upset about, plenty to be sad about. Uh, He grieves the loss of his family, his health, his things. And in the story, when when Job finds out that he's lost all of this, it says that Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped God. And he's in the midst of this grief, and he's like, well, you know, I, I, naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave. You know, I, I, what am I to do about the fact that, that God has given and God has taken away? I, I'm going to still worship in the midst of this. He's going to continue to bless God. He's going to continue to worship. But he's going to have some real conversations in this entire book. Uh, and we're really missing out if we don't read some of the, the sayings throughout the book of Job. And I'm going to give you a little excerpt, Job chapter 30, some verses in the middle of Job 30. Hear this, man. Is this the words of someone without emotions, with someone who's rational and stoic? And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. The night racks my bones and the pain that gnaws me takes no rest. I cry to you, God, and you do not answer me. I stand and you merely look at me. Surely one does not turn against the needy. When it's disaster and there's cry for help, did I not weep for those whose day was hard? Was my soul not grieved for the poor? But when I looked for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. And my inward parts are in turmoil and and are never still. And days of affliction come to meet me. I go about in sunless gloom. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. And I wonder how many of us need to acknowledge those emotions that we've had. That it's okay to turn to God and God's not fragile in the story. And that's a big part of this story in Job. Job can turn and kind of cry out and yell out and say, where is the fairness in this I am in tears. My spirit is crushed. And when God comes down, God doesn't come down really fragile. Like, oh no, Job, you shouldn't have said those things about me. God's like, here I am. Look at the monsters and the big creatures and the massive powers of this world. Where were you when I conquered them? I can handle this. But we don't, often, we don't often allow ourselves to get to the place to have that emotion and to share, here's where I'm at. To have those, that crying prayer time of, 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 here's where I am right now, God. 
And I think for, for many of us men, for many of the fathers who are watching, the only emotions you've been told are okay to have tend to be anger. It tends to be only rage and anger and frustration and violence. And then we wonder with why is this world the way it is when we see that anger getting unleashed in unhealthy ways? When we could be in the midst of offering up offerings and in prayer to God and allowing ourselves to feel all of what it is to be human, knowing it is okay, that God is, is big enough to handle our emotions. And so God in the story comes in and he says, you know, the script of Job's friends, the script of the Satan, those aren't right. I am on Job's side here. Job, you're right. And so you should act as a priest and as a bridge for your friends. Offer up some prayers for them. Offer up some prayers and I will restore those relationships. And so it's in the midst of praying that Job 42 says that in the midst of praying, God restored Job. It wasn't just for Job's own benefit, but while Job was in the midst of caring for all of those around him, that God lifts him back up. And Job becomes someone who is generous, who gives blessing and inheritance uh, to more than you would expect. And he elevates others, especially those uh, who wouldn't be elevated in that society based on the scripts that were given to them. And so here's this, this word about Job, Job and the blessings he received in, uh, in the end of this book. It said, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 and, and donkeys. And, and he also had seven sons and three daughters, which that's, you know, he had seven sons and three daughters at the beginning of the story. He named the first of those daughters Jemima, and the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. Uh, and, and women in this time were not given this kind of inheritance and this property and these things, and, and they weren't treated as equals in the, those family dynamics. But we didn't hear the seven sons' names in the story. We got the daughters' names. And that they are included in a part of this inheritance. And so Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children four generations. And Job died old and full of days. And that's kind of one of those good lives that you long for. That you had a long life. You saw generations of blessings. You saw generations of 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 new parents and children, and you saw them grow up. And, and Job became a person that blessed, and you can imagine that he's continuing to pray for the grandkids and the great-grandkids, and, and that his priestly life for his family continued on, uh, and that he was stronger in the end, that all that pain, all that emotion didn't defeat Job, but he's refined in the midst of that. And so we have to ask ourselves, what kind of father, what kind of parent, what kind of mentor do we want to be? Do we want to be the kind that uh, is just self-interested, wondering, what do I get out of having kids? What do I get out of this mentoring relationship? You know, uh, or what can I do on the behalf of those who I have the, the blessing and the honor of, of pouring into their lives? 
And so are we going to live up to being uh, the priesthood of all believers, that we are all called to bridge those gaps for the people in our lives? Do people in my family know when I'm around that person, when I'm around this person in my family, I feel closer to God. I feel like I'm being drawn closer or they feel like they're distancing, that they're being pushed away. How do we want to live? Do we want to be a priest in the families and in the friendships and in the work relationships that we have? Do we want to live by God's script? It's easy to fall into being told all of these stories about how you were supposed to live and having God's spirit and God's love and God's blessing and God's hope drowned out in the midst of all of these competing stories. Which story do you want to live by? Do we want to embrace our emotions or do we want to squelch them? Do we want to act like they don't exist? Do we want to just be stoic? Or do we want to embrace that a large part of our humanity and a larger part of our brain is actually geared towards our emotions and not just our thinking selves? Do we want to embrace that God is in the midst of those emotions and pray out of where we are? And lastly, do we want to elevate others? Do we want to lift up those who society might in their script push down, but give blessings to all? Even those friends who had negative things to say about us, eventually we're praying on their behalf. Uh, that all, all people, all God's children are treated equally and inherit out of love and dignity and equality. What kind of a father or parent or mentor do we want to be? So that's the invitation today is, is to make a decision that I don't want to live by some of these other scripts in the world. God, I want to live by your script because I know you are a good father. And that no matter what relationships in my life have, have either been successful or have failed me, God, I know that I find grounding in you. And when all else fails, I know I can come to you, Father, in prayer and in worship. Would you join me in prayer? God, I, I, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for those who, who are worshiping in our, in our midst right now who have had good examples in their lives, who have had strong, uh, loving fathers and, and parents and, and mentors. Lord, I, I, I pray for those who have had those strong examples that that those who want to live up to those examples might feel encouraged and strengthened to do so. And Lord, we also grieve with those who didn't have that in their lives, who weren't uh, blessed to, to find the easiest of role models to follow after, uh, but, but who look to you as the source of what it is to be good, what it is to be loving, what it is to, uh, to have a true and good teacher. Lord, we pray that we would not just think about ourselves as, as children, as, as having parents, as having uh, you as our, our good Father, but Lord, that we would look for those in our lives, whether that's biological children or that's those who are growing up in the next generation beneath us, that we can lift up, that we can elevate and bring into relationship with you. Lord, remind us to be in prayer with you about not just ourselves, but those, those who we are raising up. Lord, help us to raise up a city, a nation, 
of priests who love you and love their neighbors. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.